0: The following is a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you find this teaching encouraging and instructive. Perhaps you are currently a follower of Christ or are perplexed, skeptical, or even antagonistic to Christianity. Regardless, we would love to hear from you. Please contact us at info at Thank you for listening and please contact us if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you. A Bible, you can open to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we'll read verses 37 through 39. I'll lend your attention, this is the Word of God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. In Psalm 119, you can turn there. It's just one verse. Mm. Verse 25. This is the word of God. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The grass withers and the flower fades. Join me in prayer. Father, what an immense gift your word is. Light and life. Laying bare our hearts. But leaving us not in despair. Setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is worthy of all honor worship praise adoration the one whom we long to see the one who is our blessedness the one in whom we have glimpsed by faith but one day by sight we will behold the wonders of your glory forevermore oh what a day Even now, exalt him in our midst as we gather before you, dependent utterly upon the ministry of the Spirit to bring forth life in hearts that would incline to dust. Mm -hmm. Do this for the sake of Christ and the good of your people. Amen. Really grateful to be here. Uh, thank you for the introduction uh, i've gotten to know Brian a little bit i've uh, had opportunity to sit with him, talk with him, get to know him uh, but i haven't gotten to come and enjoy the sweet fellowship that we have and uh, that's partly on me i've been here for over a year, and i could I could have called <laughs> um, so we've been praying for you and um, i bring greetings from mission and and our heart is joined with your heart we're praying for you as you begin your search for a pastor praying that the lord brings a good and godly man to uh, minister the word of life to you Uh, so our hearts are with yours and i'm grateful really really grateful to be with you this morning Um, as brian said i have uh, two children and one on the way um, and I see that I'm not alone in this. <laughs> so if your house is anything like mine, uh, you might have uh, the Elephant and Piggy children's books. Any nods? Children, do you know these books? The Elephant and Piggy books by Mo Willems? They are dangerously clever. <laughs> uh, Today I Will Fly is both my daughter's favorite and my favorite You meet an elephant and a pig throughout these stories, and in this particular story, the pig declares, today I will fly. And elephant looks at her and says, no, you will not fly today. You will not fly tomorrow. You will never fly. And piggy says, I will try. Goodbye, and runs off. She reappears on stage, flapping her arms, running around, saying, Fly, 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 and falls on her face. Elephant looks at his friend just for a moment, shakes his head, and says, You need help. <laughs> to which Piggy jumps up, delighted, and says, Thank you. I do need help. I will get help. And it's beautiful and it's charming. And she runs and she gets the help that she needs from a duck who helps her fly. This moment rendered charming and delightful by Piggy is usually not the case in the world or even in our hearts, is it? That realization of our utter inability, our utter helplessness, our utter brokenness, our utter need, the inability to realize life in and of ourselves, Does anybody greet that moment with the declaration of Piggy? Thank you. I do need help. I will get help. No. Our pride competes, doesn't it? Our unwillingness to seem less than we really are. Somehow thinking we might even be able to pull the wool over God's eyes, (laughs) keeping from him those dark portions of our heart. That weariness, that weakness that somehow we think we can muster the strength through and come to God with it all together. And all of this delusional jockeying for some sort of facade of strength keeps us from that lovely moment. Thank you. I do need help. Now it's lovely not because of the very real desperation and brokenness and sin, and misery, which gives rise to that reality. I need help. It's lovely because it's in the acknowledgement of that dependence. It's in the acknowledgement of that utter helplessness. It's in the realization and the willingness to say, yes, I need help, that opens us up to the prospect of the path of life. It's in recognizing the inability to fly that sits near the heart of our plea for wings. But here the illustration breaks down. Everybody knows pigs can't fly. That's part of the charm of the story. But we were made for communion with God. We were made to know Him. As Brian mentioned this morning, Augustine famously says, you made us for yourself, oh God. And we are restless until we find rest in you. And our restlessness has come from our constant seeking, even now as those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. this perennial seeking of rest in that which cannot supply rest, which is to say everything other than God in Christ. And there's the tragedy. There's the heartbreak isn't it? That we so regularly and effortlessly seek in the dust rest. The dust, the dust of our glory, the dust of riches, the dust of pleasure, the dust of power, or even in the good earthly gifts that God gives, clinging to them too fiercely, cleaving to them as if they were the source of our hope, as if they were the source of our stability, as if they provided any confidence. When all along God distributes them to direct our gaze upward, to remind us That indeed, he is our fortress, he is our strength, and we are restless until we find rest in him. But the beauty of the gospel is indeed that in Christ, God has rescued us from the dust. In Christ, we are being fed on a portion that is not earthly, but heavenly, the Lord Jesus Christ himself who sustains us by his body and his blood. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, one day we'll put off this body of death. One day, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. But until then, we res- wrestle with that tension. We wrestle with that tension that sits at all of our hearts. That we incline so easily towards dust. Even now. And yet, our life comes from god so let's consider this tension in two parts first we mourn our draw to the dust and then second we plead god's promise in christ Mm. we mourn our draw to the dust that's how he starts isn't it my soul clings to the dust He preferences his petition, which he then goes on to make, enliven my heart according to your word. He preferences that petition with an acknowledgement, with a confession, with a willingness to articulate that he is indeed in need. So he postures himself in humility by acknowledging the truth. So we'll go on to observe what this truth really is, but note first that the posture is really important. That posture of humility, that posture of dependence, that posture of brokenness, as we sang this, what, just a few moments ago, that we live alone by mercy. By mercy, which is to say, there's nothing in us. (laughs) We are utterly dependent upon God's grace, and it's an acknowledgement of that which prefaces the psalmist's petition. And this isn't just a verbal exercise for him. This is a vying for the posture of soul, which is the only suitable posture before the true and living God, namely humility. Heidelberg Catechism 117, question 117 asks, how should we pray? And it answers, we pray fully recognizing our need and misery, so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Once upon a time, we used to kneel when we prayed, even in church, which is remarkable. It's the reason that Paul instructs us to lift our hands when we pray. Our thoughts, our words, even our bodily postures are all angling to position our heart in that posture of dependence, in that posture of humility, in that posture to which God himself says he delights to draw near. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What's the first of the Beatitudes? Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not our wealth that us, readies us before the throne. It's the acknowledgement of our poverty. It's not our sufficiency which postures us before the Lord. But it's confessing our absolute need. Augustus Toplady's beloved hymn states it well. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. naked. Come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Such an acknowledgement is almost unseemly, isn't it? But there sits the heart that is grappling with the true and living God, the depths into which we have plunged ourselves, the degree to which sin has tinged us even now, and a willingness to articulate the truth of Scripture in its testimony of our soul and our state. Indeed, we have fallen. God, give us grace. And this is not a one-time posture that we strike at the beginning of the Christian life as if we can check that off our lists and get on to better things. This is the posture of the Christian life. This is the consistent posture of the Christian life from first to last. And there's no shortage of observations that facilitate a humility of heart, or at least ought to facilitate a humility of heart were they to have their good effect. But here the psalmist considers just one. He considers how tethered he is to the earth in his innermost portion, person. And so we confess, we confess that left to ourselves, we are hopelessly earthbound, My soul cleaves to the the dust. My soul clings to the dust. There's a mournfulness in this. There's a lament in this. There's an ache in this acknowledgement. Consider the creation of human beings in Genesis 2. God fashioned them from the dust of the ground. The human being is composed of the dust. But that's not all. Then God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and he becomes a living creature. Formed of the ground, he is animated of heaven. Something in his very constitution was to orient him upward, heavenward, Godward. By his very constitution, he knew his blessedness was to be sought not from the dust, not from below, but from above, from heaven. But what happened to our first parents and we their offspring? Deceived, they sought their blessedness in the dust among this kingdom of grass and flowers. And in so doing, we have all enmeshed ourselves in sin and misery, futility and fear. And does this inclination to the dust cease when we become Christians? The psalmist knew communion with God through faith, just as we do. It was a different era, but it was the same communion with God through looking to faith, looking in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, still, he felt this. My soul clings to the dust, he mourns. He's taking stock of himself natively here, what he possesses in and of himself, and he finds only an inclination towards death. Biological death, spiritual death, the whole panorama of richness that exists with this emblem of dust as embodying the world of death, futility, and the sin which it brings in its wake. That's what he finds himself drawn to natively, and so it is for us. John writes to the church in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, abides forever. So we declare, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but... The word of God, about there is something eternal. There's something that's not tinged with futility in this world of woe, and yet we are inclined unto futility and the sin and offerings that it brings. It doesn't even have to be that dark. Jesus has to reorient our hearts even to the good gifts of dust that God gives so we don't place our hope in them, Matthew 6.25. Don't be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? The body more than clothing? What's he saying there? He's saying we're all of us, each and every one of us are tempted to elevate gifts, gifts to a position they should not occupy. And so what does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness These other things will be added unto you. We got our priorities wrong. We cling too fiercely to the gifts of this world. We kill each other and destroy each other in our hearts. What, to get more clothes? To get bigger houses? To get cars that maybe start on a negative 20 degree day? But still, they're not worth killing each other over, he says. He says, we cling too fiercely. My soul cleaves to the dust and this is deeply lamentable and this is true for us even as those who have tasted and seen that the lord is good how tempted we are to clamor after the world how tempted we are to cling unduly to the earthly blessings food clothing shelter all of these intended only to create our dependence upon god how difficult it is for us to to seek the things above (laughs) to seek first the kingdom of heaven, to seek the place where Christ is seated, where our lives are hidden, even though we know that is our blessedness. That is true life. Have you found this to be the case in your Christian life? Have you not noticed how easy it is to watch Netflix for hours and how difficult it is to attend scripture just for a little bit? How easy it is to grab drinks with friends and how difficult it is to pray? How easy it is to let your minds wander even in public worship and how difficult it is to join our hearts in faith to the heavenly assembly on Mount Zion that's yielding praise to Jesus right now. Your worship is far more glorious than we can see right now. Right now we're joining our voice to the ranks of heaven, yielding the refrain, worthy is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. But I got to run to the bank tomorrow. Maybe Tuesday, so it warms up a little. (laughs) It's difficult, isn't it? If the direction of difficulty goes the other way for you, if you find it far too easy to seek the things above and much more difficult to seek the things below, please pull me aside after service. I would love to hear the secret of all things. This is not intended to heap guilt upon us for watching Netflix. There's an ease of enjoyment that is true even for nobler iterations of the dust. I suspect it's easier even to read Dante or Tolstoy than it is to read Scripture. One is the flower of grass. It's lovely. It's lovely. But it's still the flower of grass. The other is a heavenly substance. And it's become foreign to us by virtue of our fall. And that's what he's lamenting here. He's lamenting the fact that our noblest faculties engage so easily with the dust and so difficultly with the God who made us for himself. It is the fact of the ease that he laments and not any particular iteration of it in your life or mine. Because we all wrestle with this. We all wrestle with it with groaning and indeed we're fated to do so until Christ returns. But there's an odd comfort in that, if you think about it. My wife is currently pregnant. We're eagerly anticipating our third child. If I put this here, is that going to wreck the world? We'll find out. (laughs) Now, I'm no expert in pregnancy, though I have attempted to explain to my wife that Writing a sermon is much harder than bearing and giving birth to a human being. I brought this up to her while she was in labor with our second child. Uh, Agree to disagree, I believe, is where we decided to leave it. Maybe we'll take it back up when the third one gets here. But in any case, I am no expert. But I have seen firsthand that bearing life within you is brutal. The body groans Conflicting principles are at work in one person. Something new breaking into something old. Paul writes in Romans 8, 22 and 23, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we take the psalmist's prayer upon our lips, my soul cleaves to the dust. We join our groan with a chorus of groaning. And in that very groan, we see evidence that life is at work in us. That the first fruits of the Spirit longing for the day when what is mortal is swallowed up by life, what is corrupt is swallowed up by incorruptibility, what is sinful is swallowed up by righteousness when Christ returns and we see him as he is and we become like him. That's the groan. Lord, hasten the day. But until then, what do we do? Are we left just to groan? Partly, but the groan is just the first part. The groan is followed then by the petition. And so, second, we can consider we plead God's promise of life. Give life, he says. Enliven, he says, according to your word. Note first that his confidence before God is not in himself, it's in the promise. It's in God's promise and for us the promise has been realized it's in the beloved son. The the psalmist frequently makes petitions and closes it with this phrase according to your word according to your promise. So for example Psalm 119, 169 and 170. Let my cry come before you O Lord give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you, deliver me according to your word. Charles Bridges remarks this, it's lovely. He says, it's beautiful to observe the oil of the psalmist's faith feeding the flame of his supplication every petition is urged upon the warrant of a promise the promises were the very breath of his supplication exciting his expectation for a favorable answer and exercising his patience until the answer should come children i bet you've done the same thing that the psalmist is doing here haven't you children have you ever gone to your parents and said dad you promised Mom, you said, when I was younger, if my dad had promised to play catch with me, I would plead his own words to him. Dad, you promised. Now's the time. You promised. Or if my mom had promised to spend time with me, I would plead her own words to you. Mom, you said, now's the time. God has given us these mighty promises to be pled before him to strengthen us in our faith as we cast ourselves upon him and see the good work that he is pleased to do as we seek these things from his hand and his alone. He invites us to take these things up by faith, to pray them by faith. And in this way, he delights to sustain his people in a world of woe. But more than just words of promise, God has given us his son. His son who seals these promises in his blood. Who verifies God's favorable disposition towards us by yielding his life in the stead of sinners. Realizing the greatest promise that scripture contains. The promise that God will be our God. And we will be his people And He will dwell among us. There is no greater promise in Scripture than that God will dwell among us. And this He has realized in the Lord Jesus Christ who took on flesh, we who were so of the earth, we who were so of the dust. He condescended. He came to us. He took on flesh and He dwelt among us. And then He ascended and He poured out the Spirit to dwell among us among us. And one day he's going to come back for us and we're going to be with him. And the most intimate of dwellings is going to take place as Revelation declares, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. We yearn to dwell with God, which we enjoy now by faith as we look to Christ, but we will then enjoy by sight as we see him. Returning and taking his bride, but until then, we approach him with confidence—a pleading birthed out of confidence that is not our own, but has been set forth and demonstrated in the beloved Son, Hebrews ten nineteen through twenty two. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, Charles Bridges marvelously observes, For defiled as I am in myself, In every service of my heart, what but the unceasing application of Christ's blood and the uninterrupted prevalence of his intercession can give me a moment's confidence before the Lord of heaven and earth. And so I ask you, if as we confess to be true, Christ is the sole basis of, of your confidence before God, the sole hope that any of us have of being received with favor before God, why are we so tempted to put on airs with God and one another? Why are we so tempted To somehow shield or clothe those dark portions of our heart as we come to God in prayer. Instead of realizing them and having them laid bare before Him. If you are weak, tell Him you are weak. If you are being tempted, tell Him you are being tempted. If you have sinned, tell Him you have sinned. He already knows... That's why he set forth his son. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of this. You can be confident. Sinners he came to save. You're not deceiving him. The veil of strength that we like to put up for one another, it does not hold with God. So lay your heart bare before him, for our confidence is established in the one who died for the weak, who died for sinners. And this promise sealed in Christ is not just the basis of our confidence. It's not just what enables us to plea with God for the life that He has begun in us in Christ, but it's also the means by which He sustains that life which He's begun. God's Word is the means The means that he sustains this life in Christ. Enliven me according to your word also means take your word and continue to make it life for me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And then a little earlier he writes... We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do you look to things that are unseen? How do you look to something unseen? Well, with the ear, of course. When Samantha and I were dating, I lived in Ukraine and she lived in Chicago, which was as miserable as it sounds. (laughs) And this was made all the more difficult by the fact that I did not have reliable internet. So we didn't even get to communicate with one another regularly. And I longed to be with her. So what did I do? Well, for my part, I poured over her emails that I had saved on my computer, letters that I had received from her earlier. We were not near one another. That was very true. But that was not the only story. That was not the whole of it. And to remind myself of this unseen dimension of the story, this tie that knit our hearts together, that spanned an ocean, I read... I poured over her letters. I confirmed to my heart that indeed this unseen dimension was true. I took up and read often. That's what God's word does. It orients us to this unseen reality that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That we have been welcomed as children of God in the heavenly throne room in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ will return to his people and the life that we now live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. I promise you, if you fix your gaze on the things that you can see, this world of woe, this kingdom of grass and flowers, even with the heights of loveliness that it can obtain, I promise you it won't be long before the reality of futility begins to tinge your soul. If you fix your gaze on dust, you're going to imbibe dust. But fixing our gaze upon Christ in His Word We begin to grow more and more in the life that he is working in us. A life marked by love towards God out of His love towards us. And this love at work within us is founded on something secure, unshakable, a heavenly inheritance, Jesus Christ Himself, not subject to the oscillation and the futility of the iterations of this world, and thus it can endure the day of trouble, for it is not rooted in that which is subject to change. C.S. Lewis remarks... A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. And it is because Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that we have become so ineffective in this world. Or as John writes Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is what we're doing right now, collectively, fixing our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, upon our heavenly home. This is what we do when we come around the table. We plead with the Spirit to give us the eyes of faith to feast upon the things unseen. And we cling with desperation and confidence, with certainty and dependence to God's promise in the Lord Jesus Christ. Namely, that the one who has placed life in us will sustain it and grow it and see it to completion on the day of Christ. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, it seems fitting to acknowledge that our cry is the psalmist's cry. That we are so quick to incline towards dust. Mm. We are so quick, Father, to seek to carve out our own glory or to join our cry to the cries of this world which are all vying for Iterations of grass and flowers. Even though we've been given the eternal portion. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us and reorient our hearts again and again and again. Father, let the light of your glory shine in the face of Christ. Drawing us near again and again and again. As we acknowledge that left to ourselves, we are prone to wander. Left to ourselves, we would come to nothing. But by your grace, you are renewing us. And one day, your son will come for us. Strengthen us, Lord, in this hope. We ask it in Christ. Amen. This has been a ministry of City Life Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We hope you were encouraged by this teaching. Thank you for listening and please contact us at info if we can be of service to you. Peace be with you.